This is a hat trick podcast. Oh, Do you remember your sex education? Was it helpful to you? Was it filled with scientific information rather than real, practical advice? I'm Degree Weight, and this is the real sex education. Every other week, I'll be posing sex questions, busting sex myths, and opening up our mailbox to answer your relationship conundrums. But in order to do this, I need an expert. A sexpert, if you will. But the only sex and relationship therapist I know is my mum. Hello, mum. Hello, Diggs. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Real Sex Education. I just wanted to jump in before you get to listen to our first ever live recording of the podcast that we did at Latitude Festival. Thank you very much for inviting us, Latitude. We had a great time. Um, A couple of bits of housekeeping. One... Um, this recording that you're about to hear started ever so slightly late. The person who was uh, due to record this episode live, Richard, I'm looking at you, mate, uh, backstage was laughing probably so much at my little intro gambit that he forgot to press record. So we're going to just start a little bit. You're going to think, whoa, what's going on? But essentially, I, I came on stage. There was obviously a huge applause, um, so loud, apparently it could be heard um, miles and miles away. And then uh, I said a little little piece and then um, I invite my mum. So we'll just fade it up and uh, and that'll be fine. But in terms of podcast stuff, we're going to go on a little break next week. So there won't be a show next week. And then we're going to start releasing episodes on a Monday from now on. We've been releasing on Thursdays, but we're going to start releasing them on Mondays because we thought Mondays could do with being sexy again. Make Monday sexy again. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next 10 episodes because you're probably thinking, oh no, episode 10, the series over. It's not over. Those are the first three series where we did 10 episodes, but this series, we're doing 20 episodes and there's 10 more on the way for the next 10 weeks after this little short break of a week. So guys, Please do strap in. Enjoy our first ever live recording. We had such a good time. Thank you so much again to everyone who came to listen to us and see us at Latitude. If you are listening to the podcast for the first time and you saw us from Latitude or you just for the first time, welcome and please do enjoy the show. Thank you so much for coming along. Um, Who here has heard the podcast before? Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) Who here has had sex before? All right. Jealous. Okay, listen, I do also see some kids in the audience. It is the real sex education, and I know we're educating people, but there's going to be, we're not going to hold back on some of this chat. So, oh my goodness, someone there is extremely excited about that. Um, Just want to let you know that don't worry about your kids. The things they hear is nothing that therapy cannot fix, okay? So that's all good. Speaking of therapy, if you haven't heard the show, then I am Diggory Waite, and my mother is an accredited sex and relationship therapist, Kate Campbell. Apparently there's a TV show that's similar or something, but I haven't seen it, so that's all fine. So without further ado, I'll introduce to the stage the wonderful accredited sex relationship therapist, Kate Campbell. Oh my God. Here she is. Hello, Diggs. Hello, Mum. How are you doing? Great, thanks, Diggs. Okay, so guys, this is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about... Um, how to have festival sex. Because let's be honest, there's three things that you like at a festival. You're thinking of drink, you're thinking of drugs, and you're thinking of sex, okay? Um, we can't tell you about how to do the first two things, uh, particularly not the second one, despite what we just saw backstage, what she was up to. Um, but the third one, festival sex, we're going to talk about how to do it safely, yeah? But first, I think people would be interested to know, what is a sex therapist? Um, 
so anybody that has a problem with any kind of sex can take it to a sex therapist and sex therapists work especially with things like um, problems with erections painful sex coming too soon coming too taking too long those sorts of things and they're they're specially trained to work specifically with those issues so um so not just general chat also you know identity issues things like that yeah so what are the, some of the, the questions that you ask people at the beginning of a, of a first session are there some are some normal questions you ask or do they, do they just come with their their issues first off so people come with their issues and we have quite quite a detailed lot of questions that we'd ask them but I would uh, I tend to ask all my clients whether they're sex therapy clients or not about how they identify mm. because it's it's not always obvious and people can just disappear they can vanish if if you don't know how they identify so that's important do you mean do you mean identify in their uh, gender as well as their sexual orientation Ge- gender and sexuality yeah yeah interesting yeah. okay yeah. um so how did you get into sex therapy it's not a So I was a relationship therapist and somebody said, would you like to train as a sex therapist? And I thought, oh, that's a bit weird, all right. Yeah. Wonderful. I don't think that is a usual conversation to have. So, no, I mean, now I think, how do people be a relationship therapist if they're not a sex therapist as well mm. um, but but it was I used to look at the sex therapist and think oh my god they look quite normal but really you know who who knows what they get up to and actually they are pretty normal oh. quite, yeah so do you think that you you taught me any different when we were, we were kids that's a question that I get a lot they always say oh well if your mum's a sex therapist then you must be you must be really clued up on sex and all that sort of stuff do you think there was any do you treat me any differently or when we grew up? I don't think so, no. no. I, d- I think we probably didn't. And I, d- I don't know what you'd think compared with your friends. But I, I always think if you talk, if children ask questions, you answer them in an age-appropriate way. Mm. So, so yeah, uh, that's, that's what we did. And there's only been a few occasions when it's been, it's been difficult. I remember once driving along with my daughter and her friend in the car, and we were, dri- we were driving along past some fields... And they said, and it was, it was all going well, and then they suddenly said, okay, um, can, you, can you tell me what's rape? Which is tricky. Wow. So, I, so I weighed up whether that was going to be okay or not with this other kid's mom, and in the end, really embarrassed, answered the question. And the other kid said, oh, I thought it was this yellow stuff in the fields. <laughs> oh, my God. After I've been through all that. But anyway, there we go. So how did we start the podcast? Well, that was your idea, wasn't it? It was during lockdown, the first lockdown. We were bored. (laughs) Yeah, essentially. Mum lives by a lake, and I obviously had run back home because I was terrified of... uh of dying, essentially. And so I wanted to be taken care of by my mum. And you live by this long lake, and I don't know if you guys remember lockdown when we only could go out for an hour a day for a walk. Um, And so we'd walk around this lake and have these conversations, the usual conversation we'd have, because mum has such a fascinating job, and we both love talking about sex. And so we'd be walking past people, and I think they'd do a double take and think, what what the hell are they talking about? But we, we had so much fun talking about this sort of stuff that we thought, well, let's make a podcast for it. And so here we are, The Real Sex Education. Now we're here at Latitude. Hooray! Wow, I can really get used to this. Okay, <laughs> this, is, this is great. Okay, so we promised you guys festival sex. 
<laughs> I need to get a little bit better at that. Um, but that's what we're going to give you today. So, right, Mum, are you ready for this? Good. Um, here we go. The first thing I think you want to ask yourself with festival sex is, not who you're going to do it with, or, um, you know, is it a good idea? It, just the, the thing is, do you really want to do this? No. Um, no. It's a festival. I smell so bad right now. Is there anything else that you want to consider when you're looking for a partner? Oh, loads of things. I mean, if you're going to have sex, try and do it at the beginning of the festival before when people have had a wash. That's the first thing. Yeah. Um, if you're going to be in a tent, make sure other occupants of the tent have got out first. Um, make sure you're not touching the sides so that no one can see you, preferably, and come and sit on you and, and things like that. No oral sex, especially if it's day two of the festival. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's true. Yeah, yeah. Who would want to? Um, I mean, if you can have a shower, that would be absolutely amazing. But um, our consent's really, really, really important. So being serious, that, that is very important. Keep asking if it's okay. Keep on asking if it's okay, because people can change their minds. Don't have sex with someone who's completely drunk or off their face or whatever. It's not a good, a good idea. Um, and and use a condom. Take keep condoms with you. Diggs, you probably know more about this than I do. <laughs> I certainly do not. But the problem is, I, I fall at the first stumbling block. You know, I've got to actually find a partner, uh, which is quite difficult for me. So uh, that's the that's the thing. You talked about consent there. When you what, how do I? What if I, let's say I see someone in, in a, on like I don't know perhaps let's say the listening post stage and I, I look they're, they're sat there in the audience I think oh they they look nice they look lovely how do I even approach them but in a consensual and a nice way that doesn't feel like I'm intruding on them or anything like that? Well, how would you do it normally? Nice chat. Hello, I'm Diggs. Yeah. This is my mum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do, do you approve, Mum? Is that, is that yeah. all right? That sort of thing? That goes down well. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, this is great. Okay. No. So, so don't, don't grind. Don't, don't Ooh. touch. Don't leer. Don't ogle. Just hi. Just hi. Hello. And then usually the conversation, I think, after that, you just sort of, it just brought, picks up steam. And you just keep going from there. It just picks up steam. Okay. What about if I want to kiss them? Ask. Ask? Ask. Okay. Can I try this cheering thing again? If I wanted to kiss someone, should I ask them, say yes, cheer? Or should I not ask, cheer? Oh, wow, okay. Okay, that's a pretty resounding yes. Because I, I completely agree. When I went to university, they sat us all in a room and they said, you guys, you have to ask. If you want, even if you want to kiss someone, if, if you're pretty sure they want to kiss you back, you've got to ask, right? And I think that's completely fair. However, when I have told this to other people, and, and some girls in particular, they've gone, oh, if a guy asked me, I'd hate that. And so I wonder sometimes whether there's a little, a little thing between consensual and sexiness. But listen, I think we'd all rather be consensual, con <laughs> consensual rather than sexy. Yeah, I mean, I think some, some people don't really think about whether somebody's into something or not. I mean, if their head's moving closer and closer to yours, then I guess they're moving in for a kiss as well. Yeah. What about when someone touches their hair? I've heard that if they, if they look at you and they touch their hair, that means that, like, you know, yeah, they might fancy... Yeah, I wouldn't rely on that one. Okay, that's fine. Good, good. I've been... Hmm, you haven't taught me that well. Okay. Um, little, little thing for you. I wonder what you think about this. This is obviously on the deep... Um, I did a lot of trawling around on this online. And apparently, if you would like an orgasm, 
during this 10 sex. You need to keep your socks on, says research done by the University of... Um, can you read that? No. Okay. Um, Groningen. Groningen? Groningen. Groningen. Thank you so much. That's very, very Groningen. kind. Excellent. Well, there we go. Um, okay. We're going to try that thing again. Socks on during sex? Socks off during sex? Interesting. So you guys don't like to orgasm? That is fascinating. That is surprising. I did not realise that would be the case here. So what do we think, though? If any of you guys are thinking, I mean, it's a Saturday night tonight, are you going to take any of these tips? Are you going to have socks on during tonight? Is anyone going to have sex tonight? Oh, God. We have done a really bad... It's too hot. Yeah. It's too hot. It's too hot to keep your socks on. Yeah, I think so. Socks off. Everyone right now, socks off. All right, wonderful. I don't think anyone's got socks on, have they? Who's got socks on? Hey! Who's got socks off? Who's going to get their rocks off? Nice, love that. Excellent, okay. Well, I'm really getting into this whole, like, making people cheer thing. So we've actually got a family fortune-style quiz. Now that, obviously, Mum and I are, uh, are a family, we thought we'd go with the family fortunes. However, I was speaking to someone backstage, and apparently this isn't um, actually family. family fortunes. I've no. got my um, quizzes mixed up, but I've written family fortunes now, so I'll have to do. But essentially, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out a statement, and I want you to tell me whether it's you think the truth is higher or lower. So should we do a little tester? Does that make sense? Should we do a little test? And then we'll ask Mum what she thinks about it as well. So here we go. 33% of women watch porn on a regular basis. This is a study done by the National Survey of Sexual Attitudes and Lifestyles, a.k.a. NATSAL. So this is good stuff. So 33% of women watch porn on a regular basis. Do you think the percentage of men that watch porn is higher or lower than that? Can I hear a cheer for higher? A cheer for lower? Okay, pretty resounding higher. Okay, the answer is in fact higher. Mum, it, why is that? Are we just more dirty? Do, do you know, uh, uh, you would think, wouldn't you, that men would be reminded to do it more often. To, to, they'd be, re- be reminded to think about masturbating or watching porn because they, they've got a penis, you know, and it's there. And you sort of, oh, there it is. That, that reminds me. You think... <laughs> But on the other hand... Is that how you wank? Oh, that reminds me. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying, it's there. It's, you know, it's a bit more obvious, isn't it? So, whereas whereas I think what it actually is, is more to do with the way we're socialised. And it's absolutely fine for for men, but not so fine for women. And women have, there's much more of a taboo for women. And it's more fuss and and faff and so um, I just think women women just don't think of it as much as men do yeah yeah. It's, it's much more okay but there are a lot of women that watch porn yeah absolutely and also do you think that porn as an industry is more geared towards ma- men and male pleasure I mean a lot of men make it and it's a lot often made for men ethical porn we just had a shout out for ethical porn you can find your ethical porn out there and porn for women Oh, that sort of thing. It's wonderful stuff. So look up ethical porn, everyone. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> but do you, I mean, do you, is that one of the issues with it, I suppose? I mean, you're absolutely right. It, there's this stigma around uh, 
women masturbating, obviously, but also when they do look at look, porn online, a lot of it is, is geared towards men. A, a lot of it is, but, but there, is, there is specialist porn, and yeah. there is porn for women, and there are lots of women who absolutely love porn, and there are also lots of women and men who don't like it. It's yeah. a matter of taste. But I think in terms of what's expected, it's much more likely that men will see porn and keep on looking at it because their friends do it and it's okay, whereas girls are more likely to turn their noses up just because of the way they've been brought up. Yeah, which is unfortunate. Okay, back to the game, everyone. Game face is on. 60, it's going to get quite statistical. 66.8% uh, of women and 62.5% of men said that non-exclusivity in marriage was always wrong in 2010. Was this number higher or lower in 1990? Can we have a cheer for higher? Can we have a cheer for lower? It was, in fact, lower. Only... 53.2% of women and 44.7% of men said it was always wrong in 1990. So, Mum, is non-exclusivity in marriage always wrong? No. So, so some people have lots of sexual partners and their partner knows about that. Um, some people have affairs which save their relationship. Some people have affairs which ruin their relationship. But there are times when um, it's appropriate to have a polyamorous relationship, to have more than one partner, or to have another partner that your other partner knows about, or, and which keeps everybody happy, particularly if one person isn't as interested in sex, for instance, or has just different interests in general. And there's a lot more polyamory now, particularly in the over 50s, which is news to a lot of people um, but, but sometimes an affair can actually mend a marriage it's amazing the difference it makes that people can actually realise what they want and in a way sometimes having had another relationship with somebody else reminds them what a relationship can be like, it's a bit tough on the person who's having the affair if they wanted something more serious but there's a lot more um, non-serious sex on the side Mm, interesting. Can I pick up on something you said there? Polyamory is like increasing a lot in the over 50s. Yeah. So I, I think, and I, I imagine a lot of people here might be the same, I'm not sure, but they would think of polyamory as this like hot new young thing that the, the youngsters are doing these days. But you're telling me over 50s? Yeah. Why is that? I, I, well, I think a lot of people are going back out into the dating game um, later in life after they're divorced or, they're, or they've lost a partner or something like that. And they, and they don't want to be tied down. They don't want commitment. They want to fool around a bit. They want more than one partner. Some people, some older people are worried about their partner dying. They don't want that to happen again. So they, have, they keep several casual relationships rather than one, one really important one. Interesting. Wow. Well, there you go. Right. Uh, let's move on. The average person in their 20s has sex 60 times per year. I'm 26. Okay. Do you think the actual number is higher or lower than that? So the average person in their 20s has sex 60 times per year. Do you think the actual number is higher or lower than that? Let's go again. Cheer for higher. Cheer for lower. Oh, I think lower wins that. Do you think lower wins that? I have no idea. Well, the answer is in fact higher. Ooh. Apparently, it's 80 times a year on average. And this, ten, this tends to drop to 20 times per year by the time you reach retirement age. Do you reckon that's right? Yeah, that sounds right. 
Really? So yeah. 80 times a year for 20-year-olds, yeah. or people's in their 20s, and then 20 times per year when you get to about 60? That's often because people are living together. And when you're living together, it's, you know, you know you can have sex whenever you want to, so maybe you don't. And the other thing is that people, when, they, when they're going on a date, they're expecting to have sex. Yeah. Whereas, and, you know, they, they shave their legs and put on a clean pair of knickers and things like that. Whereas when you're, when you're living with somebody, maybe that your partner approaches you when you're feeling hot and sweaty um, and, you don't, and you say, oh, no. Um, and so more people refuse just because they're approached at the wrong moment. And that's why a lot of people, a lot of people aren't having sex in a, in, when they're living together or as much sex when they're living together. Also, I mean, and also they, they, they care more about quality of sex as well. Mm. And they maybe don't have as much time when they've got small children or in their busy lives and they're running around maybe after parents themselves. So, so people have less time for sex. When you go on a date and you're going, to, you're going out from your house and they're going out from their house and you're meeting up, there's much more incentive. Mm. So because when you live together, you can have it all the time, you have it none of the time. Sometimes. The other thing is, I don't know how many women know this, how many ladies here have been in a, a relationship for more than 10 years? Because there's been a lot of research which suggests that women in relationships of more than 10 years don't feel desire. They feel, they don't, well, they don't feel spontaneous de desire, they feel responsive desire. So this is why their partners may keep trying and encouraging them because once they get going, they enjoy it. But if you said, do you want to do that? They'd say, rather have a cup of tea, quite often. And the same goes for about a third of men. So if you, be, but if you found them a new relationship, if you found, if Brad Pitt walked in, they'd be fine. Or, you know, whoever, whoever he or she is that you fancy, then they, they'd start all over again being as hot as they were right at the beginning of their relationships. So it's the length of the relationship, not the age of the person that's important in that. Mm, that's really interesting. How would you, just going back to something you said before, you know, when, so we, let's say I'm living together with my partner now and we're having way less sex than we're used to and we want to, but we want to have more, how do we combat that? How do we get back to what it... Almost everything that sex therapists suggest is counterintuitive. So one of the things that we do a lot is create a sex ban. And if you're going to try this at home, then what you'd do is you'd say, okay, we're going to formally decide that we're not going to be having sex. We're going to agree that we won't. And then we need to sit down and talk about what we can do. So suddenly you're discussing all the things that are possible rather than what isn't. Rather than avoiding any kind of touch because you're frightened of where it's going to lead, you're able to say, okay, we can, do, we can kiss, we can hold hands, we can stroke, we can touch breasts outside clothes we, or inside. Well, what can we do? You can, you, you can decide and you can then have some rules about that. And then you can change them as you want to gradually introduce more and more interesting stuff. Interesting. Interesting stuff indeed. Right then, let's get back to this. Where were we? Vigorous sex can burn up to four calories per minute. Is the actual number higher or lower than that? Higher? Lower. I think higher wins that, and it is indeed higher. Researchers say you can burn up to five calories per minute. Um, is that a good replacement for a gym membership, Mum, or...? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's not just losing, losing weight that sex is good for, though, is it? I mean, it, every time you have sex, you release loads and loads of lovely, healthy endorphins, especially oxytocin, which is known as the cuddle hormone. And so if you're, um, if you, if you're having sex with your partner, you probably feel a lot closer um, for the next few days. So if you're not having very much sex, you do miss out on that lovely, cuddly feeling and, and that, that closeness that, that sex produces. And it's also really, really good for lots of other um, uh, parts of the body. I mean, it's very, very good for the prostate, for instance. And, and you know, we stay healthier if we're having sex. Mm. So, so having sex is good for you? It's very good for you. So is not and having sex bad for no, you? No, it's not. I mean, if you, don't, if you don't want to do it, clearly you shouldn't be doing it. But if you do want to do it, and you want to do lots of it, no, it can't, can't do you any harm. Excellent. That is very, very good to hear. All right. Here we go. Back to the quiz as quick as possible. That's scooting right on. On average, and as a general trend, are we having more sex now than we were having in 1995? For higher, more sex? Less sex? Interesting. You think we're having less sex than in 1995? Well, you're bloody clever and absolutely right. We are having less sex, apparently as much as 16 times fewer over a year than in 1995. Mum, well, you guys all know this already, apparently. Why are we having less sex now? It's really interesting. I wonder if we actually are or whether people are being more honest. Because Ooh. I think that in the past, a lot of people have lied about how much sex they were having. And a lot of the surveys that have been done aren't really very accurate, but I think we're getting more open and we're probably more likely to, to tell the truth nowadays. But also, I think maybe some people feel they can't be bothered or they are, they are more comfortable having you know, occasional sex. People who have hookups tend to have less sex. You, you wouldn't think so, but according to research. Um, so, so, yeah, we, we may well be because we're having fewer committed relationships or we're starting committed relationships later. Or we don't feel we have to be having sex to prove something. So I think we're being a lot more honest about it. All right. Um, last one in the quiz, everyone. So you've done so well, uh, so good so far. Um, here we go, last one. The average vagina is three to four inches long, but can expand by 190% when sexually aroused. Is the number higher or lower than 190%? Cheers for higher? Cheers for lower. Are we... Come on, guys. Pick a side. Well, I'm going to give it one more time. Here we go. So it's, a, it's three to four inches long, but it can expand by 190% when sexually aroused. Do we think it's higher than 190%? Do we think it's lower than 190%? Oh, this is, this is, this is a tie. Okay, I, oh, I know the answer, so I can't <laughs> decide either way. Um, I'll, I'll throw it to you, Mum. Do you think it's higher or lower than 190%? I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. Oh, no, I feel bad now. You are an expert. I know you are. Guys... It's higher. It's actually 200%. That's as much as 12 inches. And so my... my uh, I don't know if I want to ask a question about that to you, Mum. But, 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 of course, I mean, ooh. when you think about it, it only makes sense, doesn't it? Because otherwise, how would you have babies? You, you know, they, it needs to be able to stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. And, and, and sex is... is you, you know, people worry about sex being uncomfortable, but... It, you, you know, you can accommodate an incredibly large penis. 
Yeah. Not yeah, necessarily yeah. you. I'm not going to look at you when I say that, but it, it, it is true. It's the mailbag, St. Katie Queries, two podcasts at hatch.com. It's the mailbag, St. Katie Queries, podcasts at hatch with two T's. Hello there, I have a query for Kate. I would like to know when the real sex education mailbag starts. The real sex education mailbag starts right now. Thank you. We're going to move on now. These are some questions. Uh, well, this, this question is one we got from listeners. So on our podcast, usually, you know, mum and I will have a chat about whatever, this, that, and the other. Sometimes we'll chat to a guest. But at the end, we open up our, our mailbox to, for people to send in questions for Kate to answer. And um, here's what we've got here. We, I've, I've saved this one back because I really, really like this one, and it's great as well. And hopefully at some point, we might even have a chance for you guys to ask us any questions or probably more questions for mum if you'd like as well. If you'd like to have a chance to ask mum a question. Can you just give us a quick cheer? Oh, okay, wonderful. Okay, we've got a few cheers out there. Okay, we might need to... Uh, we'll, we'll ask you again in a minute. That'd be great. Okay, but here we go. This is the sort of thing that we get from listeners. And as I say, you can find our podcast anywhere. It's, it's the real sex education, minus the live bit. And you can send in us questions on our email, on our Instagram. You'll find us. Anyway, right, here we go. Um, this question is, says, My partner and I had a threesome, and now I'm regretting it. My wife and I have been planning a threesome for months and had been chatting with someone on a dating app who we were excited to meet. We met him at a bar near us and he was just like the pictures and how he seemed online. Nice guy. We went home to ours and started having the threesome, but this is where the problem started. My wife has never liked giving blowjobs. She will from time to time, but won't go very deep for very long, which is fine. But when she was going down on this guy, it was very deep and she gave him a blowjob for a while. When they had sex, they had sex in doggy style, which my wife usually avoids with me because she says she doesn't like it. But I've never heard her make more noises than that. I had no issues with him having sex with my wife. That is why we were there. But it feels as though as soon as he was there, her whole outlook on sex changed or what I have been doing wasn't enough. Why doesn't she do these things for me? I haven't wanted to have sex with her since, but I don't think she knows. She wants to have another threesome. How do I start this conversation? Well, he's just got to come right out with it as far as the conversation goes. But, I mean, who thinks that threesomes are a good idea? Yeah. A few. So, so, some, so it's, a, it's a minority. Um, in this audience, at least. In, in this audience, it's a minority. <laughs> because, and and the, the thing is, it's a fantasy for a lot of people. A lot of people like to think about it, but not, not, not quite as many are brave enough to do it. And the thing is, it needs a bit of planning. You need to know what the rules are. And, and that makes it real, apart from uh, it also makes it go well if you, make, if you make a plan. But for this couple, it doesn't sound as if it was, re- it was... It felt that real for the woman. It felt like a fantasy. And so it was, as she was allowing herself to do things that she wouldn't normally do. Now, if you think about when you role-play quite a lot of people who are very inhibited are able to do all sorts of things that they wouldn't do normally when they're dressed up, when they're playing a game, when it's a fantasy. And I think that might be what's been going on here mm. in this thing. Because normally, because really and truly, if you do any, if you make any plan to do anything new sexually, you should both be consensual, you should both know what you're going to do, you should both know what you're going to be okay with, and so should the third person in this scenario. Has anyone ever come to you and said, oh, me and my partner want to have a threesome? Yeah. And how, how do we go about facilitating that? Have they come to you with that? Yeah. And, and would one of the things you say is, you guys have got to be really ready for this. Yes. 
And how what do you want to get out of it? Right. That's what we'd normally say. What do you want to get out of it? And it's really interesting because th- this guy doesn't sound as if he knows what he wanted to get out of it. I think he got what he should have expected. His 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 partner enjoyed it, and it was great. But um, but you know he he hadn't thought it through. Mm. Would you say that he has to separate this particular time from the times that they spend just together because yeah. it's. It is different. It is different. And I think, like you say, it's a fancy and maybe a few more things go in that scenario. Okay, interesting, interesting. Does anyone out there have any ideas or any advice for them? Would any of you got any sex therapy advice for this? It's on hello. Um, I would say just talk, like talk to your partner because in my experience, there's nothing, there's nothing sexier than good communication for me in partnership. Yeah. Can we get a cheer for that, guys? Thank you. Absolutely <laughs> so, right. Yeah, you know, and I think if they're talking to each other about this or about their fantasies, what's more sexy than that? Yeah, exactly. I think that's spot on. Spot I think on. that's absolutely yeah. spot on. But I mean, I don't know. I, 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 you say that, but. I remember we had um, a a fellow sex therapist, Kate Moyle, on the show, and she said something that really did resonate with me. She said, what's really odd is it's sometimes hardest to speak about sex with the person you're having it with the most. And I definitely resonate with that. So you're absolutely right. Lovely, dear audience member. Um, But how do you get over that stumbling block? Why am I so scared to talk about the person I'm having sex with about sex? Because, because you, you know, for a lot of people, sex with the person they love becomes more difficult, not less. The more you fall in love, the more difficult it becomes because there's so much more to lose if it goes wrong. And that's why... And, and so some people are really frightened to ask for what they like or to discuss anything or, or um, you know, ask any questions or explain anything at all to their partner or certainly to discuss something like this. I mean, isn't it weird that they were able to, dis- to have a conversation where they agreed that they wanted to have a threesome but they couldn't discuss anything about what happened afterwards? It's, it's about being brave and going for it. Yeah, I wonder whether that's because, like, before it was exciting fancy, but now the real stuff has to happen afterwards. Yeah. It's quite difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We've got a microphone in the audience. Is it, does anyone want to, to ask a question to either myself or mum? Is anyone brave enough? Yeah, yeah. We've got a question in the, in the front there. Hello. Hello, what's your name? Uh, my name's Heather, and we're representing the Terence Higgins Trust and Brooke, oh, who are hey. handing out free condoms this weekend. Woo! Free condoms, everyone. Yay! Wonderful stuff. Oh, thank sex. you so much for coming along. Really appreciate You're that. Um, uh, so we teach uh, relationship and sex education in schools and stuff, and one question we enjoy exploring is if there was a magic wand. Well, we're trying to develop sex education, but what does the future look like with robust sex education now mandated in schools, the future of relationships and sex and the next generation, are they going to feel empowered and have healthy, pleasurable, lovely lives? Or do you see that there's still a bit of a challenge and a lot of work to do with the society and environment that they've grown up in? Big question. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Mum? That's, that's oh, do, do you know, the, one, of the, one of the difficulties of, of, I always find, of therapy with young people is that you do some great work with them and give them education and you talk to them and then they go back home to the usual views and, and it all gets undone again. So, yeah, it's, it is difficult. But the more, the more I think, the more um, pester power there is from young people, the better. So that's, so that's not a reason not to try and not to educate them. And you're clearly doing a fabulous job. And, you know, I, I can't wait for a future when everyone can have lovely, comfortable sex where they can talk to one another. It's going to be absolutely great. Yeah, yeah fingers um, crossed. 
one, one thing I think about, and I'd be interested to hear what you think about this, is I think, so obviously back in the day, you know, maybe people were a bit more repressed in talking about this sort of stuff and talking about sex and that somehow that sometimes comes across in their sexuality. They feel like they can't express themselves that much. And, and that was what was coming then. And now I wonder whether there's also, with this new, like, sex positivity, particularly, in, I suppose, in the community we own, because with lots of other great sex education stuff, really sex positive, sometimes I thought there's maybe now... A, a new pressure, a separate pressure, where the pressure is you've got to be having great fun, crazy, kinky sex, and if you're not having it, you're boring. Yeah. And that's a pressure that I feel under, and I wonder whether potentially, if you know, if we go too far that way, that might be the case. Is that could that happen? Potentially? Well, it's already happening. I mean, as soon as as soon as people started to talk about women's empowerment and women de- deserving an orgasm, then we started to see m- men mainly um, pressuring. Uh, women to to respond so then we got a new kind of issue response pressure so yeah women should should with that with whoever partner they're with they should be having great sex but or even okay sex and but they don't always have to have an orgasm nor do men anytime you're having sex whoever you're having it with doesn't always have to end up with an orgasm <clears throat> and, it's, and it's really unfair to put pressure on your partner to have an orgasm to make yourself feel good and the more that we can encourage children uh, people not children but 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 let pe- children know that you do what you want to do not what somebody else wants you to do mm. and the the more then that we can we can enjoy ourselves relax take responsibility for our own sexuality ask for what we'd like the other person to do and they can say no if they don't want to do it but take responsibility for our own orgasm and not expect someone else to do it and certainly not expect your partner to orgasm so that you'll feel good because that's just ruining sex because most of the people that I see sort of just are ticking boxes you know try I get an erection I keep it I stick it in I move it around I orgasm yay job done and you know it's it's not enough. Mm. Woo! Wow. Well, there you go. Thank you so much for that question, and thank you so much for the work that you do. We love that as well. We have another hand. We have a few hands. Wonderful. Thank you so much. This is great. I've got a question that I've been thinking about for a while. Yes. And what's your name? Sorry. Do you, no, you don't have to say that. Don't Thanks. You, yes, of course. Sorry. <laughs> Hi everyone. I'm here, and I am no yeah. um, <laughs> wrong place. My question is, I've been thinking about this for a while, about the generational thing. So I feel like, personally, I'm in the wrong generation. Like, the whole 60s thing is an amazing vibe. And I feel like we're coming into that now, rightly so, in the 21st century, where we can feel how we want to feel, be who we want to be, express who we want to be, male, female, Mm. whatever gender, whatever sexuality, however we feel. And I, I love that. But part of me thinks... Did we lose something somewhere? I don't know. My parents hate me talking about this right now. And Mm. they were parents... I was an 80s kid. They met in the 70s. And for me... For them to even sit here right now and hear me... And I think they kind of judge, are my sisters gay? Am I... Because they haven't got partners. I have a partner and I'm hetero, apparently. You know, it's like we have to put a label on things. Because I was a 90s You're kid. You're so right. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Yes. Sorry, I'm saying it all, I'm rambling. No. But I just feel this 80s, 90s part and early 2000s, it's like we had to have a label. Well, and we're still evolving. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. 
And but the 60s, it felt like we weren't evolving. I don't know. Maybe I miss. I wasn't there. Well, they were wrong. <laughs> Maybe they were, I misread the history. And there may have. It may be that there were more more obvious rules then, so people knew where they were. They weren't particularly in a nice place, I guess, a lot of the time. And and contraception was more difficult. There wasn't abortion in the early 60s. There were all sorts of things that weren't great, um, and the, and women weren't particularly expected to have good time either. Although I think a lot did. Um, I agree. Yeah, absolutely. But but the thing is, I, I think labels are interesting because they can be so helpful to people and you can identify with your community and that makes a lot of people feel great. But, but, it, but we also don't necessarily need them and you don't have to decide you're one thing forever. You know, you can change your mind. You, you can be something one day and something else the next. And I mean, when you think in terms of, in terms of whether, you, whether you think about your sexuality, most of us aren't walking around all the time thinking about it. I mean, the more, the more sort of cis-hetero you are, the less you probably think about your sexuality, your gender, what you do with yourself and your relationships, and which is, which is weird in a way, but it, but, but it means you, you, you lack some safety that maybe non-cis, non-hetero people don't lack because they are thinking about it more. So, so in some ways... You know, you know, you're, you're, you're more likely to fall into the old-fashioned stereotypes that you've acquired from your relatives because you're not thinking about it, talking about it all the time. Does that make sense? Yeah. I yeah. agree. And I feel like there's... This is just me, like, living around other people, and I feel like there's this sort of lost generation almost. I'm not... Like, my generation... I feel super, like, accepting of everything. And I don't even like identify as anything in particular. And I love the non-identification of what I want to do when I want to do it. But I feel like my parents have to have a label, you know? It's like their generation skipped something. I don't know. It's just it's really interesting to me. Yeah, the, the more people talk about it and the more they're exposed to those conversations, the more they'll, they'll change their minds, I guess, and come around. I mean, people have to be open um, to, to change, otherwise they won't. So it'll happen. Yeah. Eventually. I mean, one thing you, you told me at school, I remember when, when kids would be being mean to me, <laughs> can't imagine that, but you would always say, as long as you're right, they'll come round in the end. And that was always true. And so I think you're right, and they will come round in the end. And I think that's, that's the way it is. Um, thank you so much for your question. I won't say your name. Uh, we have another question at the back over there, if we could go to them. Hello. Hello. <laughs> I don't know whether to ask your name now. It's okay. Um, my name's Rachel, and I teach sex education in secondary school and oh. also train teachers to teach it as well. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, um, my question was really, um, I have more of a, um, in the past couple of years, a growing awareness of young people who identify um, in the ace community, so either asexual or yeah. aromantic. And as sex education now, it's wonderful, it's all inclusive, we try and make it as inclusive as possible, whatever gender or sexuality you identify as. What, how would you suggest approaching talking about, first of all, asexuality and, um, so, you know, asexuality and aromanticism with people that might not necessarily understand it and might not view it as a sexuality in their own right 
And how can we encourage um, young people or anyone that identifies like that to be kind of intimate? Because I, I get a lot of questions on how they can be intimate, but not in a non-sexual way. So kind of going back to what you were saying about that pressure that young people might feel to feel sex positive, but when they wait, they don't identify that way. Sorry if, if that didn't make sense. But, but, I mean, it, it goes back to consent, doesn't it? When uh, the, the bottom line is, what do you want to do? And I think when you're, when you're teaching, I guess, that you would be saying, well, if you don't want to do it, don't do it. And some people, and some people have... Uh, feel very sexual a lot of the time and they think about sex a lot of the time and a lot of young people in particular uh, if they've got a penis think about that a lot of the time and a lot of women think about their their vulva a lot of the time as well and their and their arousal and that that's not talked about I mean it's expected that men do but there are equally as lots and lots of people that don't and don't want to do those things. And really, I think if you're going to be intimate in a romantic way and not a sexual way, it, you still talk about what's possible. And it's just starting from that baseline and saying, OK, let's talk about what we can do, not what we can't do. We do we're we're going to ban sex, sex, but that means this. And here are the things that we can do. And I guess that's where you're going. And I think it's great that you're talking about ace as sexualities. is brilliant. Or identities. It's fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, in, in, into what I would just say on that as well is, like you say, intimacy isn't just about oh, you know, you, you don't have to have sex to be intimate. You don't have to, yeah. you know, hold each other even in a, in a romantic way as well, because that's asexuality is people who don't have sex, right? Or, majoritively. But some do. But some do. Some, some do. do. But maybe um, don't want to as much that sort of thing, or don't think about it as much. And aromantic people don't aren't really into the romance side of things. But I think too, and maybe this is giving away too much. But I'm, I'm hot under the lights. So I'm going to say it anyway. But I think back to um, the time of my ex-girlfriend where I felt most connected to her and I felt our most intimate moment was when um, we were at one of those arcade games and she was doing the uh, basketball thing and she won all the tickets I, I don't know why it was a really intimate moment I felt so close to her it wasn't remotely romantic we weren't having sex we were in the middle of a bloody arcade but that, those are moments that you can share and you can have intimate moments with people that mean so much to you and have nothing to do with sex and nothing to do with romance and I think that's something we would have put forward as well. Yeah. Um, we probably have time for one more question. So the guy at the back, thank you so much. Um, I was reading a news story this week that said that incidences of HIV infection are now much higher in heterosexual people than homosexual people and also heterosexual... <coughs> pardon me. Heterosexuals are much li less likely to get tested. I was wondering what yeah. you thought of that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of I think a lot of people feel that it doesn't apply to them, and I think it's really interesting now that we've got um, a monkeypox epidemic, which has been associated with men who have sex with men. There are a lot of there's real fears, I think, that that people are going to write off monkeypox and think they can't get it because they don't have, they're not men who have sex with men. And um, it's not these things are not just confined to one community, and we and and it's really really worrying and. Scary. Scary, that I think it's not just HIV or monkeypox. You know, the same thing happens once people get used to hearing about um, a particular illness. I mean, people say, "Oh, you know, gonorrhea is easy. You just, you just, you have some penicillin." Well, that, that's true. But but you know, if it, if you if you don't go and get tested in the first place, you won't, may not know you've got it, and you may and you may get a lot worse. 
than you know it needs to. So I think we need to, to, if we're talking about sex education, keep on encouraging people to be tested, encouraging people to have safer sex. Absolutely. And I think that is... At, at, yeah. Yes, prep. Did you mention prep there? Yes, prep for all. Yes. So prep is that... Now, do, do someone just mentioned prep there. Prep is that... Am I right in thinking that is the pill that you can take um, so that if the preps you for having sex with someone who may have HIV or to prevent you from getting HIV. Pre-exposure prophylaxis. Thank you very much. Why am I? Yeah, there we go. Wonderful stuff. So people need to be aware of that. Prep. That's a really good thing. Yeah. And then also PEP. Is that another thing as well? Yeah. That's yeah. post-exposure. So you think you've been exposed to someone that you've... So it's, people tell you not to say this, but I can't think of a better analogy. It's like the morning after pill, yeah. but for if you think you've had sex. They, is that they always say don't, don't think of it like that. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not, you know, it's not a fail-safe or whatever. 72 hours. 72, 72 hours. hours yeah. having sex with someone who may have had HIV. I just think these things are so important. I just wish we had two or three more hours because it's yeah. the, these things are so important for us all to be talking about. Absolutely. And great that you brought it up. Yeah, thank you so much for that. I was going to mention that as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you yeah. so much, everyone, for coming. This has been a real, real joy for us. We've had so much fun. Thank you so much. Please do uh, look us up. We're on Spotify, podcasts, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, Apple Podcasts, wherever you want to find us. We're on Instagram. Look us up there. Um, thank you so much. Keep in sending your questions. If you didn't get a question answered today, we will answer it on the podcast. Um, thank you to Latitude, Festival Republic, Kirsty, Flora, Rhiannon, the backstage team, Ewan, uh, we're talking, Jules as well, Paige, thank you so much, Hattrick, Claire, you're a legend. Um, and most of all, thank you to you, Mum, because you're an absolute legend. And Aww. she's so knowledgeable. So round of applause for Kate Campbell, everyone. And for Dicks. No. Thank you so much, Sean. And thanks to all of you. And everyone, when you see Mum and I at 3am in the woods and she's off her nut again, I'm chasing her around trying to be like... Ah, ah, ah. Uh, do come and say hi. Thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you so much again. Bye. You've been listening to The Real Sex Education, which is hosted by Diggory Waite and Kate Campbell. The show is produced by Diggory Waite, and the executive producer is Claire Broughton. The Real Sex Education is a hat-trick podcast. This podcast is based on the real-life relationship between Diggory Waite and his mother, accredited sex therapist Kate Campbell. The show is therefore inspired by, but otherwise unrelated to, the TV show Sex Education. But yes, Diggory does wish his mother was played by Gillian Anderson. 